Amen. I always enjoy this time of the year when we get to sing so many of these wonderful songs. And my favorite Christmas song is reserved for the last today. Who is he in yonder stall? You know, I was just singing that last song and I was thinking of as, as a kid, I loved to sing that song for all the wrong reasons. That was the only time I could ever use the word ass. And, you know, that song would be there and it was always like our whole row was like, <laughs> you know, we were like, you're cussing. And I just able to pull myself away from that now and realize, wow, I mean, I was focused on that one word in that song. When every verse is so rich in meaning. I love to sing these songs. They're so wonderful. Luke chapter 2. Hopefully I've matured since those earlier days and at least, at least advanced a little bit in life. Luke chapter 2. If you would turn there. We're going to be in verses 8 through 21. There's a brief outline that you can follow along with in your bulletin if you want to. But we're in a series to prepare him room. And so as we came into Advent season this year, we decided that what we would like to do is, is think about this, this whole Jesus story from different perspectives. And so slowly we've been working through this story, looking at the different accounts. And this morning we are at the shepherd's story here in Luke chapter 2. And the, our goal is to consider, as, as we now come to the shepherd's story, what does it mean? for us to prepare him room from this perspective of reading this story. And, and we're going to see the great angelic announcement. We're going to see some different responses to all that they're being told. And, and as we move our way through this, we each one want to consider, well, what does that mean for me to prepare him room? I've entitled the message this morning, And What an Announcement It Was. And the way I came up with that title was thinking about birth announcements that oftentimes get sent out. Uh, when a new child is added to the family. And what an announcement this was. We're talking the babe of all babes here. So let me read this passage, then pray, and then we'll work our way through the three points that we have in our bulletin. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. This is, the, by the way, the passage that in Charlie Brown's Christmas... This is Charlie Brown, oh, can anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? And then Linus comes up to him and goes, sure, Charlie Brown, lights, please. And then he breaks out into singing or reading this particular passage. Uh, this morning in our prayer time, elder prayer time, Walt also shared with us, Jordan had sent a, a reading of this by his three-year-old niece reading through this passage. It's just amazing to sit and listen to a three-year-old reading this passage. You're stuck with me, but... Um, Verses 8 through 21 is a powerful presentation of what Christmas is all about. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven... 
the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we marvel at this story. This is a story for the ages. This has been told over and over and over again in every language around the world. And Lord, this morning we come before this passage for such a time as this, and we ask that you would make these words alive and powerful. We ask that you would help us, each one, to prepare you room. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us As we all come in here today, we bring different life situations. We've all walked a different path. We are all up against different struggles, experiencing different joys. But Lord, we all need you, every last one of us. So in your mercy, would you reveal yourself to us and draw us to yourself, transform us, to the praise and the glory of your great name. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can see in your bulletin three simple points I want to make. And the first one is the bearers of the message in verse eight. In the same region, there were shepherds. And so this is the shepherd's story. This is from their perspective. And it's amazing to me, there's there's so much when you get into commentaries. Commentaries are explanations of the Bible. And you get into these commentaries, how much time they spend talking about the shepherds. And some would cite sources that would really ultimately make the shepherd the equivalent of a common criminal. They were not to be trusted, a low life. But I think as we come to this story, rather than getting into all that, the point here seems to be rather simple to me. The announcement of the greatest event in human history is made to shepherds. And shepherds often stayed for months at a time out with their flocks. They had to travel wherever there was grass, wherever there was water. They had to take their flocks there so they could feed and grow. So socially, shepherds had a tendency to keep to themselves. They were very independent. And so in our story, what are they doing? They're doing what shepherds do. Verse 8, they're keeping watch over their flock by night. Their flock relied on them. They were constantly with their sheep since the sheep were vulnerable to many different factors. Thieves, I mean, sheep were money. You get your hands on someone else's sheep, you had money in your pocket. And so they had to watch over the sheep. Sheep could wander off and get lost. And so Jesus tells the parable of the shepherd who left the 99 to go get the one who had been lost. They were vulnerable to hurting themselves. Wolves, other wild animals could make them their prey. And so they had a very important role. But as far as it goes in society, these were not the powerful people. These were the lowest people, peasants, the bottom of the scale when it came to power. 
the bottom of the scale when it came to privilege or influence. They lived most of their year outside, away from people. They were nomads and they lived with their sheep. And so in this particular story, we're reminded that they couldn't, they, 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 this was a 24-7 job. And so here they are in the middle of the night, putting in hours in the night shift while everyone is asleep back in town because someone has to watch the sheep. And as always, they're just out there. They're unnoticed. Everybody's relying on them to watch these sheep, but they're just unnoticed. Yet this announcement comes to them. And this is one of the things that we've been learning as we've moved our way through this Christmas story. And that is that Jesus brings this story to everyday people. An unwed teenage mother who's engaged to the son of a carpenter from a nowhere town, away from the political stronghold, away from the central religious sites, just everyday people like us. The king of glory, the creator of the universe emerges into this world with no fanfare, doesn't look for the great politicians, the people who can really give him the ease of life, common every day. And so here these shepherds are out in the field until the most amazing thing happens. And that brings us to the second point in our sermon notes. It's the announcement of the message. And it's just amazing. An angel of the Lord appears. I mean, here they are unnoticed out there doing what shepherds do, possibly nodding off to sleep. And this angel appears and the glory of the Lord. This is something that we can't even begin to wrap our minds around. The glory of the Lord appears in various places in Scripture, always causing a sense of fear and ominous. I mean, this is amazing. It's overwhelming what takes place at this moment. Appears to them. The glory shines around them, and they are, of course, filled with great fear. And as we've seen with other angel stories, the angel begins with fear not. Hey, don't be afraid. What I'm doing right now is I am bringing you good news of great joy. And that's what we've been singing about. Those are the verses that we've been reciting together this morning. Good news of great joy. God is bringing this for all people. He's on the move. Notice what it says, for unto you is born. Not unto Mary and Joseph. And it's not just to those shepherds. Unto you, world, is born this day. God's focus throughout the Old Testament is the Jewish people. Throughout, he's focusing on them. But he made a promise to Abraham way back at the beginning, Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And God is meticulously working with the Jews. And now, with this coming of this babe, now the news is going to begin to move outward. And all the world is going to be blessed by this message. This is not just a child for Mary and Joseph. But as we sit here today, unto you, a child has been born in the fullness of time, Jesus comes. And what is the good news of great joy? What is this good news that is going to bring this great joy? We have three descriptions of Jesus. 
in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. That city of David packed with so many Old Testament prophecies. This is the fulfillment of all this. Three descriptions of Jesus. We, we find these together in one verse in nowhere else in the, Old, in the New Testament. This is it right here. And it is just packed with meaning. Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And let's consider each one of these. First, we have a Savior. This is one who's going to save, deliver the people who for years have been underneath foreign domination and seemingly out of God's care. It's like God is gone. When we come to the end of the Old Testament, we've got 400 what we call silent years where it seems that maybe God's abandoned his people, but now a savior. And the Old Testament is full of stories where we have little s saviors, lowercase s saviors, little d, lowercase d, deliverers. We've got Moses. The people of Israel are under this oppression in Egypt. They're in bondage to slavery. What does God do? He sends them a deliverer. And even there, it's so interesting because there it's a baby too. That's God's plan, a baby. And Moses brings about deliverance. In the book of Judges, they're in and out of God's favor and God raises up enemy nations to oppress them. And then they cry out to God. And what does God do? He sends a savior, little s, lowercase, little d, deliverer, to deliver them. Even in the kingdom where God finally brings about a kingdom for his people, he brings a deliverer, a savior for his people. And ultimately behind all of these saviors, these deliverers, it's Yahweh who's at work. He's the one that's bringing deliverance. But now he himself is going to come and deliver. Remember back a couple of weeks ago, Matthew 1.21, you will call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He will deliver them from their sins. You see, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. But now God's going to bring about a great deliverance. The oppressor that this baby is born to deliver us from is sin. He's going to redeem us from the power that sin has over us. He's going to redeem us from the sentence that is placed on us because of our sin. He's our deliverer. Think of the song, let all mortal flesh keep silence. Listen to these words. This is a view of the birth of Jesus from, from the throne room of heaven. This is what it looks like. Verse 1, let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly minded. For with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth our full homage to demand. When this baby comes, Lord of Lord, King of glories, he is condescending down to this earth. He's stooping down to this earth, but he's no less the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He deserves nothing less than our full reverence as he comes. It goes on in verse three, rank on rank, the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way. And what is a vanguard? A vanguard is a front line of an advancing army filled with thousands of warriors ready to bring deliverance. They've got one thing on their mind. 
And that's deliverance. And with a sword in their hand, who's at the front of that charge? It's Jesus, our Savior. He's our deliverer. Jesus is leading the vanguard of angels to defeat sin, to defeat Satan, to defeat death. All those verses that we've been reciting, this is why Jesus came and to give us life. Have you ever thought of Christmas in this way? Not just a baby in a manger, but a baby that's leading the charge from heaven against the gates of hell, riding at the front of the vanguard as savior, as deliverer, a baby in the stable, our deliverer from the sin over us, the guilt because of our sin, the grip that sin has on our lives, our deliverer, sin and the guilt of it, the sentence of it is the oppressor's greatest power over us. And on this day, it's announced to these shepherds out in their field, watching over their flocks, that a Savior has been born to deliver. A Savior who's going to deliver us from the fear of death that has hung over the human race from the beginning of time, from the time that Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, rebelling against God all these years, deliverance has been demanded, and now the Savior is born. Is that good news of great joy or what? Amen? I mean, a Savior is born. A Savior who is Christ, and there we see our second term, the anointed one, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the one who was to come. All eyes throughout the Old Testament has been on this Messiah. And this is more than just one deliverer in a long line of deliverers. This is the one for whom people have waited. This is not just a Moses being raised up. This is not just a judge. It's not just a king. This is the one that people have been longing for since Genesis 3:15, when there was a separation between God and man and Satan ruling the day. And God makes a promise. The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. This power that's there is going to be crushed. It's going to be taken down. And so throughout the Old Testament, people can get so bored by reading genealogies. Those genealogies are so important because it's showing us the seed being passed down, being passed down, being passed down, being passed down until Jesus, this babe in a manger, a savior who is Christ. This is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Look back at even chapter one in verses 32 and 33. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The Christ is here. God has kept his promise the Lord is born, this long-awaited one, this uppercase S, Savior, has come to save his people from their sins. This Christ is here. This is the priest who's greater than Moses because he takes his blood that he offers himself and takes it straight to the very throne room of God. And he sits down because his work is finished. This is a prophet greater than Elijah. I could go on and on and go through the entire book of Hebrews and show us why this one is the better of anything that we've seen up to this point. We also see that 
This one is the Lord. He's the Savior, he's the Christ, and he's the Lord. And this signifies his absolute authority, his absolute sovereignty, the divine relationship that Jesus possesses as the one to bring salvation. Yeah, a baby in a stable, but nonetheless, Lord. He's more than just Messiah. He's mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Lord of the universe. Listen to the words of Elizabeth to Mary in chapter 1 in verses 42 and 43. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is the Lord, the long-awaited, again, uppercase Savior has come to save his people from their sins. My mind went to Isaiah in chapter 25 in verses 6 through 9 when I was thinking about this one that we're waiting for. I remember we worked our way through Isaiah, how powerful this was for me. In verse 6, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all the peoples a rich a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And on that hillside, the glory of the Lord shines around these shepherds and the message comes to them that in this stable, in this manger lies a baby who is the Savior who is Christ, who is Lord, is that good news of great joy or what? Bringing about deliverance for his people. And so in verse 12, what do the shepherds do? They're given this inside scoop on this incredible story and they're given a sign. This shall be a sign unto you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. God is telling them, I'm going to tell you now what you're going to see then so that you might believe. And so we have this sign that they're given. A baby? A baby, really? See, this is the unexpected of what's going on here. In the poem, New Heaven, New War, listen to these words. This little babe so few days old is come to rifle Satan's fold. Think of it, baby, to rifle Satan's fold. All hell doth at his presence quake. Now notice the, the quaking of hell in comparison to though he himself for cold do shake. Here's this little baby in this wintry night, being wrapped in swaddling clothes for him shaking. But don't lose sight of what's going on. All hell is at his present quaking. For in this weak, unarmed, wise, the gates of hell he will surprise. This is the unexpected of the story. This is God 
condescending. This is God stooping down in the most unremarkable way, taking his message to people you wouldn't expect to receive it in the middle of the night while all Bethlehem was asleep, directing their attention to a stable in a manger to a baby. The whole announcement is a surprise, unexpected. And from beginning to end of Jesus' life, it doesn't change. It's a constant surprise. Jesus constantly condescends. He constantly stoops down. And we love the imagery here of this manger with the cross behind it. He condescends throughout his whole life. Born as a baby in a stable in a manger. And eventually he dies a publicly shameful and physically agonizing death on a cross. He's born in an animal pen, smelly, and he dies with robbers. Unexpected, but don't let it fool you. Both pictures are of the King of glory, the Lord of lords. Whether in a stable or on a cross, that is who he is. And as a result of this incredible moment, the unexpected, what happens in verses 13 and 14? There appears with this one angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. That had to be quite the moment. The angels respond to God himself descending, condescending into a manger with these incredible shouts of praise. And imagine those shepherds on a hillside that had to be quite amazing. This one angel, all of a sudden, brilliant throng of angels bellowing out this noise. But it's all because of something more amazing. Everything that's happening on this hillside is nothing but a pointer to Jesus. Everything that's happening on the hillside is a, hey, listen up. That's all it is. Hey, I want to show you something really special. God has stooped down and become a man, and he's your deliverer. You think this is glorious? I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to find a stable there. And I want you to find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. You think this is glorious? Ah, go to the manger. You see, God's glory shines brightly in this condescension. God, a baby, in a manger, in a cattle stall. The one who creates the world, he speaks and the world comes into existence. He's now born as a baby in this world that he created. And the condescension does not end in this stable scene, it's going to go throughout Jesus' life. Jesus himself said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. And we all cry out, glory to God in the highest. He's left by his friends to pray alone in the garden on the night of his deepest sorrow. And we cry out, glory to God in the highest. He's betrayed by one of his closest disciples, denied by one of his most beloved disciples. And we cry out, glory to God in the highest. He's struck on the mouth by the high priest. He's spit on, he's mocked, he's beaten, he's taunted. 
and he eventually is crucified on a cross between two robbers and we cry out, glory to God in the highest. We are seeing God's glory in the face of Jesus in every one of these moments from the manger to the cross and we cry out glory to God in the highest. And all of this for what reason? Look at verse 14. And on earth, peace. That's the key word there. It's peace. Peace between God and man. The rebellion, the separation, and now there is peace. Micah 5, looking forward to this day, and this one will be our peace. He brings about peace, restoration. And as a result of this peace, we have the restoration of relationships among us as well. God's Savior, Christ, the Lord, has come to make war with Satan. He's leading the vanguard. But as he's making war with Satan, he's come to make peace with us. And that's good news of great joy. And we get abundant life now. We get eternal life to come. It's the greatest gift that we could ever receive. We deserve nothing. We gain everything. And that's why this is good news of great joy. And how do they respond to all of this? We see responses in verses 15 through 21. That's the third point in our message this morning. We see some responses. And what I want us to do as we look at these responses is to think about how we might respond to this message as well. What does it mean for us to prepare him room? All of this is being announced to shepherds. Mary and Joseph are experiencing. Everybody's hearing about this. What do they do with all of this? There are three responses I want us to look at. And the first one is that of the shepherds. They believe and they go for themselves. Verse 15, the angel goes away and the shepherds say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They drop everything and they just take off. What about the sheep? Don't worry about them. Let's go find this thing. They don't second guess God's word. They don't say, come on, baby in a manger. No, they just make a beeline for this stable. Verse 17, it goes on and says, and when they saw it, they made known. They proclaimed the saying that had been told them concerning the child. Notice that they don't say, although they might have included it, and there was an angel, then a host. No, they made known what had been told them about the child. It's not about the heavenly host. It's about the child that's in that manger. Luke's focus on what they made, what had been made known to them. They don't just believe, but they affirm it. They proclaim it. You see, the message of this baby is not to be hoarded. It's not to be held in. It is to be something that we proclaim. And so in verse 20, we see more. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, heard and seen as it had been told them. There's a message that's here. And the shepherds are proclaiming it. Again, it's not all this glory they are going and proclaiming what has been told to them. And so again, we see this response. They believe, they proclaim, they praise. What about this needs to impact us today? Are we hoarding 
this story of Jesus? Are we making it all ours? Do we come to church and, and celebrate Advent and worship Jesus and just hoard it and keep it in? Or are we like them? We believe this stuff, so therefore we proclaim it. Our life becomes a life of praise and glory to God the Father. Oh, may God help us to see and believe and may he help us to proclaim and maybe God is stirring in your heart right now someone who really needs to hear about Jesus. And we need to receive the response of the shepherds and become those who are more active in proclaiming. We also see the response of Mary and Joseph. Mary in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And I, I think there about Mary setting her mind on these things. That all that's going on around her, she's just taking it all in. And as she holds that baby Jesus, she's thinking in terms of Savior, Mashiach, Christ, the anointed one, the Lord and she holds that baby. She's just pondering it all. And what does she and Joseph do in verse 21 at the end of eight days when he was circumcised? He was called Jesus. In the same way that they had been commanded by the messenger of the Lord, you will call his name Jesus, they obey. They obey this command. And so in their lives, we see them setting their minds on these things as well as taking the simple word of the Lord and obeying it. They take it seriously. And this is what God wants from all of us, to hear his voice and not be just hearers only, but to be doers of his word. God has entrusted to us a message as well. And he wants us to receive that message and to also obey and maybe that's the message that you need to hear today. You need to see the response of Mary and Joseph and realize all that's been given to you. Again, all that we learn in God's word is not supposed to be just cataloged up in our mind as theology. It's actually to be lived out in our lives. Every time we open up God's word and read it, there is to be a transformed response from us. This is to be something that's lived out. They heard the word of the Lord and they named him Jesus just like they had been told. They obey. But then we see a third response here also. And this is found in verse 18. And this is all, everyone. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. It doesn't say anything about believing or proclaiming or praising. It doesn't say treasured and pondered and obeyed. It simply says, they wondered. And this is a word that Luke uses. It would be fun to trace this word through the book of Luke right now and see all the times marveling or wonder shows, shows up. It's something, this, this word marvel, this word um, of, uh, of marveling is this idea of what? What in the world? Serious? We have a phrase in Alabama, come again? I know it probably doesn't move its way out to California much, but come again? It's this idea of what? What are you talking about? The people who hear the shepherd's testimony, they're wondering about this. And so we see from the very beginnings of Jesus this curiosity already that's going to follow him throughout the li his life. Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? 
we've got a Jesus who creates curiosity. He's already bringing about a come again response from people. Do you have that response? Maybe it, it just stops at wonder. Maybe that's, that's as far as, you, as you've come with Jesus. It's, it's just, wow, what a cool story. Wow, wonder on this whole thing. But I just don't, ah, God, a baby, I mean, God in a womb. Seriously, I mean, I, wow, I don't fully, un- maybe you're at the place of wonder. How could this be? I just don't get it. Because these Advent stories will do that for us. This is remarkable stuff we're talking about here. And maybe it's brought about wonder. Well, that's better than just shrugging it off and saying, never happened. It's ridiculous. Can't believe Christians believe stuff like that. Maybe you're just in wonder. But these Advent stories are going to call for more. This peace that's being proclaimed here is not for everyone. It's available to everyone, but it's not received by everyone. This is not some mushy-gushy Christmas story where we get to talk about a baby and God's love for everyone and we all end up in his presence in the end. This is for those who receive this message and bow to the King of Kings and bow to the Lord of Lords. In verse 10, notice what is said there. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, this is there, the message for everyone, but the benefits. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him. Those who recognize this is not just a baby in a manger. This is not just a criminal on a cross. This is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And my response is to bow down to him because he is king of kings and because he is Lord of lords. This message is proclaimed to everyone, but its, it's benefits are for those who recognize Jesus and bow down to him and proclaim him as king of kings and Lord of lords. Our wonder must lead to worship. Our fascination must lead to following. This wonder for you, maybe you're just at that stage of wonder, we invite you to worship this babe who eventually goes to a cross because he's your deliverer. He's the only hope you have. The Christmas story is just the beginning. And and if you're at this stage of just wondering about all of this stuff, you're at a great place. Because we're going to continue one more week in the Advent story, and then we're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is about this babe Jesus all the way to the cross, dying for us. It's going to be the Gospel. And in the weeks ahead, we would invite you to continue to walk through the Gospel of Mark with us, and we would pray with you that wonder would turn to worship. But maybe you are one who is a follower of Christ already, but you've lost that sense of worship. You've lost that sense of him being Lord of Lord and King of Kings in your life. And the Lord is impressing on you now that this is not just an amazing story. It's not just about a prayer you said when you were seven. This is your life. It is to be 
your life. Worship is to invade every part of our being. And so as we prepare him room during this Advent season, what does it mean for you? Are you with the shepherds that you want to believe and proclaim and praise? Is it the story of Mary and Joseph that you need to hear where you're setting your minds on these things, you're receiving God's word and you are acting in obedience and God is speaking to you about some very particular things? Or are you one like the all? You're just in wonder. We invite you to not just be in wonder about this, but to worship this one. Walt's going to come forward and we're going to sing who is he in yonder stall? And I'm going to invite some grace group shepherds. If we have some grace group shepherds here, we've got, I don't know if we've got a basket over here, but we've got a basket over here that has name, name tags on it. And you can put it around your neck. And if you want to come up during this song and, and you just want someone to pray for you, we'll have some people. Do I can I have some grace group shepherds that would come up now? A male and female would be great. And they will pray with you. And if you just want to come up after the service, you don't feel comfortable coming up during this time, They'll have these badges on and they'll be lingering after the service and they would love to pray with you. As we sing this song, this is about he's the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. And I would even invite you, if, if you would be so moved, to just come with this manger and the cross behind it. You might want to symbolically come forward. We've got plenty of room up here. You might want to come forward and just at his feet symbolically fall right now, just giving yourself in worship to him. Feel free. We, we want you to respond to the teaching of God's word. If you just want to pray right where you are, just grab the person next to you and say, I need prayer. Would you pray for me? Or grab the person next to you and say, do you need prayer? I want to pray for you. We want to respond to whatever God is teaching us at this time. So let's let God move. Let me pray. And then you continue in prayer and Walt will lead us. Lord, we pray you grab a hold of our hearts right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.